0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Kodiak Shack podcast. Today, I have Eagle Wu from Vinci VR, and uh, he's going to talk to us a little bit about VR that he's working on, some XR, uh, and uh, his background. Uh, Remember, some admin stuff. Uh, Please like, share, and subscribe to uh, whatever platform you're listening or watching on. And, uh, and tell your friends about the show, uh, and then talk about all the good stuff and the good programs that we're working on Eagle. Uh, thanks for being here today and, uh, his background before I uh, hand the mic over to him. Eagle was at Babson college. And, uh, while he was there, he decided to, uh, create a startup and then, uh, got into the VR space. He ended up, uh, moving over to the Sibber space and we'll learn all about that. So, uh, Eagle, thanks for being here with us. Go ahead and tell us about yourself.
1: Hey, uh, thanks for having me on, Vader. Uh, So my name is Eagle. Um, While a sophomore at Babson College, I started my startup, Vinci VR, uh, which I am still running to this day. So uh, just a general kind of VR, uh, we're creating like a VR training platform for different industries, whether it's in the defense side, but also we have some stuff going on in the kind of private sector with uh, specifically renewable energy.
0: That's pretty cool. And then, uh, so Babson, maybe I'm the only one, but where, where's Babson college?
1: I get that question a lot. and (laughs) It's, it's in Wellesley. It's, it's a small business school. Um,
0: okay. I got you.
1: Yeah. Um, small business school kind of in the middle of Massachusetts, like right in the literal middle of Massachusetts. Um, yeah, it's all business school. You can only get one major, which is, um, you know, bachelor's in, in business administration. So,
0: okay. Nice. And then, so what made you go into the VR space? So obviously you're getting your bachelor's in business, and then what was the push towards VR?
1: Gaming, definitely gaming. Um, Nice. I would say I'm definitely, I guess, uh, at least in in the defense kind of industry, I'm definitely a younger guy. Uh, I'm only 20, 25. But uh, gaming has always been just like a huge part of my life, uh, especially growing up and even in college. And I originally just wanted... Like, I, I had the original kind of Vive headset, which, if people haven't seen, like the, the developer kit for the Vive is this giant monstrosity with all these cables that have to go into all of your freaking computer. Um, but I, I had that was my first set, and I really wanted to just make uh, video games. Like, a lot there were a lot of like janky little small VR video games online that you can kind of buy and download, and I wanted to make my own video games so. Um, that's kind of like that's kind of where that start came from.
0: Yeah, the uh, I because we had at my at my last base at Holloman, we had four of the uh, Vibes. Uh, I think it was. Uh, was it? It wasn't the focus. It was the. It was the one you were talking about where you have to put the sensors up in the corners, and all the sensors have to be working for everything to work. And um, yeah, that was it was cumbersome to say the least. Uh, it seems like VR technology has come a long way. Uh, so when you're, um, so you want to create video games, but you're a business major, right? So how do you go from, I'm going to create a business that's going to create video games. Who do you go and reach out to? Cause I assume you're not making the software and developing the games yourselves.
1: Well, so, well, actually I did in the beginning. Um, oh, nice. so, so sophomore, so at apps, and I, I started a, um, I started like oddly enough at Babson of, of all places that uh, they didn't have like any like kind of tech club or anything for undergrads, despite, mm. you know, I would say in the 21st century, at least technology is just such a huge part of business in general, even if you're not selling a technology, everyone is using it. Right. So um, I started a tech club on campus and we got like our own little special housing area. Uh, it, the nerd house, basically is what it was, but Uh, Sophomore year, no, I spent, um, like, I I remember spending, like, weekends and afternoons just going on tutorials, learning uh, this game engine called Unity, so I learned how to develop in Unity to create, like, a video game, like, it was a super jank video game, but um, (laughs) it worked, Uh, the game was super simple, you just pull apart an engine, Um, like, I was trying to recreate that scene in Iron Man where Tony Stark pulled apart his Iron Man suit, a hologram, but yeah, it's very cool yeah so i i kind of i I just found these 3d models with like an engine i found an iron man suit actually i made a super jank unity game where you can kind of pull it apart and you can learn more about an engine that i found on wikipedia that kind of stuff
0: (laughs) well that's pretty cool well did that did that kind of transfer i mean i i haven't seen what you guys are working on with the uh the maintenance side of stuff but is that what your what was your vision for that of hey let's expand this out and and see what what the guts are
1: yeah yeah um our first our first actual like work with the defense sector actually our first actual work period uh at vinci was with the defense sector when it came to training it was actually with the uh, army uh not the air force so um Babson has, like, this, uh, MBA program, so a lot of grad school, uh, grad students go there, and, uh, one of, uh, one of my best friends, actually, still, at the time, he was a part-time MBA, and he worked full-time at the, uh, Natick Research Lab, so that's, like, the U.S. Army's, um, kind of premier research center, at least in Massachusetts, so, uh i forgot where but i'm pretty sure it was like some kind of event on campus where i was just i just set up the vr and i was just showing like off my janky little app that i built (laughs) and uh he saw it and he um he was like could i think there's a few people in the army that i think you might want to talk to because i think there might be a way we could like swap out the the engines and actually put in you know real equipment so um, that was kind of, it was the same exact principle, right. Of the technology. Um, but now instead of pulling apart an engine, you're teaching a soldier how to like inspect a, um, a sling load and make sure that there are no deficiencies. Right. So it's kind of the same application, same technology, but just now you're replacing the, uh, the model itself.
0: Well, that's cool. And then how do you go from, you know, standing there at an event and, being told, Hey, you should contact someone at the army to actually getting into the innovation space. What does that look like?
1: Yeah. So, um, the short story basically is, uh, I met with Caleb at like the uh, research center. Um, uh, it was basically like on a college campus somewhere. It was like a satellite campus for the arm, uh, for Natick labs. And I met with that team, um, at the time, like VR for them, uh, they're like a cognitive research group, but they did do a lot of vrar Obviously, the army now has kind of gone all the way into augmented reality with the whole IVAS system. Um, uh, but that team was like working on Hollands. Like, they, I'm pretty sure some of their research contributed to that. Um, I might be wrong, but you know, you guys can probably do your, do your due diligence on that one. But yeah. Um, so at the time their vr was like a cave system which is basically you just have a bunch of giant screens like floor-to-ceiling screens around you and that was pretty much as immersive as it got Um, so i remember like just setting up like as you mentioned the base stations in this conference room (laughs) loading up my my jank uh my jank app and uh letting these random army researchers just put on the headset and they're like, Oh my goodness, this is so much better than the dome. <laughs> <laughs> this is a hundred times better than the dome. Um, and they're like, can, can we, uh, can we, can we put in like a test equipment? We have this uh, relationship or project going on to the hundred first out in Fort Campbell. And they're having this issue where um, they need to, they need to train soldiers, how to inspect these sling loads. And it's turning out to be a big headache. Can we, can we load this into VR? So um, I said, sure. Uh, it's going to cost a little bit of money at the time. Uh, I was a naive kid, uh, probably should have known better. But at the time, a lot of money to me was like five to 10 grand, uh, yeah. which, <laughs> hindsight to the department of defense. That's, that's not even a drop in a bucket. That's <laughs>
0: yeah, they got a, they got a good deal on that one.
1: Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> a speck of bacteria in that drop of water. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but no, I never getting it. I, um, I reached out to a few friends of mine who are 3D modelers. Um, uh, they 3D modeled like this sling load equipment, this uh, this like bag essentially, this A22 pack. And then once I got the model, I just like added stuff to it in VR, and and that was our first project.
0: That's pretty cool. And then uh, so before we kind of get into some more details, there, where are we living? So let's go back to the the motor where you know. Uh, Tony Stark like expands out the motor, expands out his his uh, suit. What? Where is like reality? And then where is the point of this is now fiction? And this is this is not something that could be done with today, or even like mildly in the future's tech.
1: Yeah, I would say so. Tony Stark's hologram is probably. Um, you could probably do that with like augmented reality headsets, like the Hololens too, for sure. Um, but you know, you got to put on this big, janky little, essentially uh, brick on your head uh, for it to work. Like true holograms, where you're not wearing a headset, that's you know, that's that's at least probably a decade at most, uh, at least uh, behind. Um,
0: but you can how- interface with it. So say you're wearing the augmented reality lenses you can actually interface with the stuff and make it turn and, and, you know, like remove parts and yeah. it's like, Oh, that stuff's deleted now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we don't really dabble as much into AR, but from the few kind of HoloLens demos I've seen, um, yeah, that's like one of the first demos on HoloLens one is you have a space shuttle, like this little hologram space shuttle floating from you and you can kind of like, you know, you can't grab it, but you can do, like, little hand gestures to pull it apart. I'm pretty sure that's the same with HoloLens, too. Um, but that's kind of, like, that's kind of where the technology's at. You're not fully interacting with a, like, floating hologram like an Iron Man. Um,
0: yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. So now, I assume that's still feasible in the VR space. It just has to be entirely developed, right?
1: Yeah, so I would say with VR... Um, Yes and no. The, the issue with VR is that you can't um, like you're you're in your own world. If that makes sense. Yeah. So there's there's, there's benefits and limitations to that. Right. Like if you if you want to train, um, like, for example, pilots, you're a pilot. So pilots are actually using this really cool new AR type. We didn't build it. It was another company. Um, they're using this really cool AR tech where you can like kind of have like flying holograms of like planes and stuff, enemy planes or other systems, and you can train that way. Uh, but, you know, that's where AR really shines, just when you're trying to put on more overlays into your real world, whereas VR is like you're replacing an entire world. Um, yeah. That's that's kind of one of the limitations. So you could, you could have that high fidelity hologram where you're grabbing and pulling apart, but it's entirely in like your own little... Little space, you don't see the rest of the world around you.
0: But if you're if you're trying to teach someone these sling mounts, then really all you need is a VR world. You don't need augmented reality, right?
1: Yeah, and it goes back to the problem being solved. Like for the army, one of the big issues they had was they just didn't have enough equipment. So um, to give you some insight into it, like uh, we actually went down to Fort Campbell to the Saabowski Air Assault School, and like we went and tried to understand why. They we're having this issue and it's the same issue within the air force too right it's just not able to get these really expensive pieces of equipment uh, and get hands-on time with them um, and then the, the time that they do get on with them it's like you know you get one or two iterations and that's it um, so if you're a soldier uh, and you're tired all day and you're expected to you know get one hands-on one or two hands-on opportunities with a with a piece of you know large complex piece of equipment obviously you're, you know, you're going to have a pretty high fail rate. So, um, that's where VR comes in. Um, kind of like, that's, that's where it comes in the best is like when you just don't have access to environment or equipment.
0: Yeah. And that makes sense. I mean, so a, a parallel to that, and I don't want to scare people who are uh, traveling, but if you're flying on American United, like any of those, the first time, a new pilot at one of those companies actually flies and lands one of their airplanes is with passengers in the back because they don't just fly lines. You know, they don't fly airplanes empty so guys can get training. They put them through months and months of simulator training. And granted, these simulators are real good, but their first flight is with passengers in the back. And uh so it's you know, it's that. It's hey, it costs us millions of dollars to put this airplane in the air. We're not going to spend that, you know, to get you reps. We're going to put you in something like a VR space or something like that to ma- now make your first rep a useful one rather than getting training there. So I, I I understand that. That makes sense.
1: Well, it's not. It's that's that's a kind of thing that's in a lot of industries, uh, like wind oh, yeah. turbine technicians. Uh, oh, yeah. these, these wind turbine machines are getting so big that you, the first time a lot of these guys actually like get hands on is on the job on a real life, actual turning, turning thing. Oh. Uh, same even with, uh, our project of JTAX, right? Like, uh, you know, we're simulating, um, a, a war zone with, uh, uh you know, a near pure enemy uh, fingers crossed, hopefully that doesn't actually happen in real life, but, you know, for yeah. first time they might deal with It's not going to be, you know, it's going to be in real life. Right. So, um, I think simulations have gone to the point where they're realistic enough, you know, they're obviously there's holes, but they're realistic enough that, um, for a certain kind of task, you can go probably from simulation to real life.
0: Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's, that's good that we have the technology now and that companies are leveraging it. So we'll back up real quick. So obviously you do this first one. You uh, it sounds like you make good on that contract. And then this kind of gets you started into the defense side of innovation. Um, so where do you go next? So after that, how do you find yourself applying for sippers, getting SIBRS? Like how do you learn the whole space?
1: yeah so where we went next was was uh with um afworks and this was like back in 2017 2018 when afworks was really like getting started um so i'm not sure if you've covered earlier in different podcasts like what afworks is but uh just like a yeah. quick rundown you know afworks kind of a the whole point of Af- afworks is to get dual use technologies um from like small companies and startups and bring them into the air force the idea is like you know the air force won't f- fall behind as much in like the the speed of the private sector essentially so um we worked with afworks and there was a at the time it was like it was brand new like a lot of they had these this thing called the open topic server um so sibbers are like these small kind of innovation grants that small companies can apply for Traditionally, the way it works is you have like a program manager that has a specific issue that they need fixed, and then they post out, like, hey, we're looking for white papers or companies that might be able to solve this. Uh, But AfWorks kind of turned the whole process on its head, where you as a company now have to find the end user, like the, the people in the Air Force with the problem, and then you need to present to AfWorks like, here is the problem, here is our solution uh and then they if it's a good match then you know you get the server and you can go and you build your project um so that at the time was like kind of revolutionary it was it was i don't think anyone else in the department of defense has uh, taught like something like that or a program like that so frankly I, <laughs> when i did it it was like it was probably like the second open topic like ever um oh, yeah. and there was uh, I won't say confusion, but there were people were like this. I think everyone was figuring out as it was going on and it worked. Uh, it, it did end up working. Um, so we did an open topic. We applied for the phase one, you know, at the time, Afro, which was a really small team. So we were able to actually talk with the people that are running the program, like leadership and like understand what, what they were going for, what they were looking for. You know what was the goal intention of these kind of newer versions of these Sibris? Uh and that eventually led us to get a phase two, uh, and then we kind of just kept kept going from there.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things, like you said, it was a it was a big game changing event for the sheer fact that people one had to be informed enough to know what's out there, and two, go and ask for it in the timely manner to actually get the SIBR applied for and allocated and awarded, Uh, where an open topic allows companies with products that we didn't even know existed to say, hey, check this out. And the Air Force say, oh, man, we need that. Uh, Because any other acquisitions process is exactly that. Hey, figure out what's out there and then go buy it. Uh, And the problem is like if you know, a lot of times military members' secondary or, or tertiary job that they don't have time to go scour the internet or scour every single VR company for products that they could use that have them come to AfWorks, and then you now you have one centralized location uh, for that because we've seen it um, with aircraft acquisitions. You have an old airplane getting updated parts and equipment and, and electronics that is not the most advanced because they didn't know there was something more advanced. So they asked for the wrong thing. And if they could just say, Hey, give us your best thing for this price, it would have, it would have made it much better. Um, so I think, I think that's good that they created that. Uh, so then what was your first, uh, SIBR that you got awarded for?
1: Yeah, we, we were doing uh, aircraft maintenance or avionics training specifically, um, with ATC or air education training command. So, um, and you know, we went down to an air force base uh we learned like what they were trying to teach in a curriculum what their issues were and same issues that i out in the army which is just a lot of the uh kind of training hands-on training tools they're using were super outdated um so going in building a, a vr uh version of a, of an aircraft that they can actually use for training was kind of the, the main idea yeah
0: well it's good the uh one thing that i it makes me think about is uh, when you're when you're going through like a pilot training, uh, you pretty much have like five exposures for everything because you have your initial academics and then you have like an advanced academic and then you have a baseline sim, you have an advanced sim, and then you have a flight. Uh, so you have a lot of touch points with this information to make it useful and make it stick. Uh, so this is where, taking something and being able to get more reps and provide them high quality training is just going to make that stuff better, uh, as they get out there. So then, uh, you guys get awarded that. Where are you guys working with, uh, for that one with that SIBR two? Uh,
1: yeah. So, so that one's actually, that one was completed like a year and a half ago at this point, but okay. yeah, we were working with, uh, the 82nd training wing, Alan Shepherd's Air Force Base. Nice. Uh, so it, avionics tech school basically was where we were focused on at the time yeah
0: that's cool and then uh and then you move on to uh who are you working with after them
1: like for uh, your next uh, one bit of a bit of a pivot to put it lightly uh we we moved to uh trying to build like what we call like the, the next generation jtac trainer um so i mean full disclosure there's there's like 20 other companies working on like a VR JTAC trainer. JTAC is Joint Terminal Attack Controllers. Their uh, best way of putting it is uh, guys on the ground with uh, embedded with like ground forces and they coordinate aircraft uh, for close air support or strikes. Um, but there's, there's you know, as I mentioned, there's, there's competition. There's 20 other like companies, probably even more, working on some kind of JTAC VR thing. What we're trying to do is we're trying to kind of we're trying to just test the boundaries of the technology and see how immersive we can truly make it. So that includes bringing in things like uh, VR treadmills, rifles, mixed reality, um, all these different aspects on top of, you know, just the, the enhanced immersiveness that you get from from VR and utilizing newer game engines like Unreal Engine to actually get as realistic as we can get uh, in terms of graphics fidelity. So,
0: With that, I, I have two questions. One, yeah. uh, are they are you guys uh, intending or are they intending to use that 360 uh, audio?
1: 360. So audio. have you
0: seen that where it's like directional-based audio? So oh, if, yeah. you know, gunfire is from your right side, you hear it over there?
1: Yeah. So the beauty of, of these newer game engines, like Unreal Engine, is that's that's usually built in when you're talking about like a VR uh, plugin. Uh, so yeah, that's that's definitely something that's uh, that's going to be kind of baked into it. Um, same with just having just a 360 visual immersion as well. But that's kind of a given with a VR headset.
0: And then when you're uh, when you're actually taking this engine. And producing a VR program or something on it, like what does that look like? Because what separates your first hack at VR, how it was as you refer to it, janky, to today, um, which is obviously like a commercial product that's that's solid. I mean, what goes into it that makes one better than the other uh, in the in the development?
1: Uh, talent, talent. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. Um, like our, we have an art director on our team. He he is not just good at so so i'll give you an example so there's one thing to make a um like make a a 3d model that's detailed of i don't know a tank or something but it's another thing to make it so that you have a texture tank that looks realistic right like oftentimes when we see a lot of these like combat simulations everything looks like it just rolled off the factory floor for some reason. Um, yeah. So adding in things like, you know, different uh, details like that, dirt, uh, grime on a tank, uh, making sure that the lighting and coloring works well with the environment, that the environment is all set up right. So there's a whole there's a whole side of the art direction that I didn't even know existed <laughs> until <laughs> we actually hired someone that that has done that before. Um, so it's it's not just hey, how do we create a a realistic or how do we create a detailed 3D environment? It's how do we create an environment that is actually realistic and looks and feels realistic. Um, Those kind of small details that that matter, Um, that's one. And the second thing is really just research, a lot of research um, with the customer, with uh, kind of skilled developers. So like we... We actually went out to Nellis Air Force Base and we like rode <laughs> around in a, in like this. Uh, so at Nellis, they have like a, like a test almost for JTACs right before they get sent to their operational units. So we rode around and like for two hours, Lincoln City, Nevada, or wherever uh, in the middle of the desert was a battlefield. Uh, and we, we sat and we learned and we understood the problem set pretty, pretty deeply. And, um, From there, we were able to like get a lot better engineering specs. So those are those are like kind of like some of the small, small differences between, you know, that jank project I built in college to um, to this.
0: When I think there's like you're talking about how immersive it is and how true to life, you know, the the sun glint off of things and the shadows and and all those little things that you you don't probably always know that you notice but you notice it and it just makes you feel like ah oh, this is this is right the um n- uh have you seen uh dcs
1: yeah digital combat simulator Love that. yeah i
0: would say <laughs> that's uh that's pretty i would say that at least for a flying vr that's about as good as graphics as i've seen uh would would you agree i mean not to talk about other vr in front of you but
1: uh, no, no, I love DCS. I I play that. I played that game on a regular. Um, there's oh, also yeah. You ever, f- it, oh, what's that? There's also another game called VTOL VR. Um, it's oh. that one is actually so DCS was actually originally built not for VR. It was built like for a computer or mouse. Uh, mm. But there's there's a VR game called VTOL VR that is like that was specifically built for VR from the ground up. So um, I love those you games. Yeah, I, I don't I yeah. don't mind talking about them. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the, uh, so, and that, and that's what you're talking about. Like the, the, uh, I guess the definition and how just the quality of the image that you experience, that's what really makes VR different. And it's someone who's good at what they do and, and writing that. Cause all of that is, I mean, that is that I'm, I'm not a tech guy. So is that code like that's literally writing the code and yeah. getting the imagery correct?
1: It's a mix of code, code and art. Um, so the modeling itself, like you, we, we, our, our team goes into like Photoshop and they paint on textures, right? Like it's, it's a manual, it's literally a manual process, um, that just takes hours and, and work. Uh, yeah.
0: When you're um, so when you're talking about this jtac specific product, uh, and you're you're building the VR space for them to to get this. Uh, end user training, which right now, uh, there, I think it's called the, the dome, right? When yeah. they, they go in there, it's just a bunch of screens that they're interacting with. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so,
0: yeah. Oh, so now when you're building a VR space, the thing they you run into is you, you build an immersive, uh, environment, but now they can't see their hands, they can't see their radios and things like that. Uh, so is that why you guys are kind of moving to the mixed reality side of it?
1: Yeah, and, and this is this is where we like to at least think that we, we are different than kind of the, the other solutions is, and it's a risk. It's frankly a huge technological risk whether or not this will actually work, but um, no one has really cracked, sim- like for example, how do you write in VR? Right. <laughs> that's, that's that's true. That's a legitimate question. That was actually we were we we could have um you know, that was actually a, a big question mark that a lot of the attack bees raised to us. They're like we write nine lines. That is like our, our our main weapon is not our M4. It is our notepad and our radio. Um yeah. how do you how do you write in PR, right? Um so it just kinda goes back to like the kind of training. Um there's, there is, frankly, there's JTAC training that you probably don't necessarily need uh, to write nine lines. Maybe you're like just trying to teach someone how do you, how do you recognize that, you know, the nose geometry or, or an airplane is kind of pointing in the right direction, is flying the right direction. Um, you don't necessarily need VR for that, but uh, we're talking about like something to fully replace a dome. Um, how do you, how do you write? Uh, so we've, we've done, um what our solution currently is is we're utilizing this vr headset called avario or varjo and it has this mixed reality capability where you can essentially have a cutout in your vr world Um, so one way of thinking about it is like you know you're you're in your vr environment you're on a hill somewhere in eastern europe or something and then you pull up a clipboard and this clipboard your real life clipboard is now like shows up in your vr world like there's a little cutout of it and you can start writing your nine line on it um, and what that actually also allows us to do is it allows us to like bring in things like atac directly in without having to like recreate all of atac <laughs> in yeah. vr which we could do but we, we probably don't have the time or resources to do
0: Yeah. Well, and it'd probably be prohibitively expensive rather than just getting a cutout. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) When you're, so now the question uh, is how does VR, because now we're talking about, it's not just VR, because now we need a camera out the front of this VR, these VR goggles that is always looking. And the moment it sees this clipboard, so I assume it's looking for a shape or an image or whatever to say, pass this directly through to the eyeball. Is that how that works? Like, how's the software doing yeah, that?
1: Currently, that's that's how we've programmed it to to kind of work. Um, again, it's a technological risk. Like, yeah. this is such a new project that, um, like, if we had the same conversation a year from now, I am 99% sure that we'll have a different solution or maybe not a completely different, like, concept, but a different way of implementing it. It's it's a hundred percent iterative process. Uh, we're dealing with really cutting edge stuff, like uh, even our, our rifle that we're using for the uh, training. I actually have one right here. So oh, like nice. our first iteration was was this thing. This is like basically just an airsoft rifle. So you have yeah. uh, you know it, it works pretty much like a real thing, and we put oh, a yeah. tracker on it, and we essentially hot wired a uh, switch to go on the trigger so that when you pull the trigger. Uh, is sent a signal to, to this uh, VR tracker that you're shooting the rifle. What we found, though, is that on the logistical side, it's not practical because it's, it's a gas-powered rifle, so you have to, like, constantly feed it with gas. Mm. So instead, we went with another um, another solution that's uh, like a tech rifle. It's an electric blowback rifle and actually has, like, 80% the kick of, a, um, of an actual, like, 5.56 five, round um it's it's a lot (laughs) yeah we're a little worried that it'll it'll knock the tracker off at some point but um but even that technology like the haptech rifle is like that's only like a year or two old at this point right there that technology it's new the uh vr treadmill the 360 treadmill that itself is only like a few years old and that's like it's it's definitely a new piece of hardware right there's there's software and hardware kinks that have to be kind of figured out as as all new products have to be right uh, yeah. but that's that's the risk even of vario, to an extent is still like the whole mixed reality thing that's that's still a new concept so
0: one i think as the you know the software is going to get better the hardware is going to get better you know all that stuff just slowly but surely it's just going to get better and better because you think about especially with jtac so a guy who's going to be Going from his ATAC, which ATAC, for everybody who doesn't understand, think like a big iPhone or a Samsung that has a digital, pretty much like a, a game or like a, think Google Maps yeah. on it. And then you can drop points, you can draw lines, you can pull ranges, you can do all those things. You can actually pull GPS coordinates off of it um, and where you can zoom in. Because uh, we actually, the dudes in the airplanes actually use it as well because it is. So nice, uh, because turns out 80 year old airplane doesn't have good uh, interactive uh, moving maps. Uh, so, you know, they'll zoom in and they'll pull coordinates and they'll say, hey, this is what it looks like. And they have these great maps for it. Uh, so now they have they transition from that. They're going to have a pen and paper where they're writing the nine line or they're typing it into something. Uh, then they're going to have their radio. Then they're going to have their M4. Uh, and all of these things have to be accessible while they're immersed in this VR space. So that's where the XR I mean it's not one challenge. It's not a clipboard. It's his writing space, yeah. his ATAC, his gun. Uh all of the above need to be seamlessly accessible uh in his VR world it's, or a mixed reality world.
1: It's it's ambitious. Um will it work. I mean, I I hope so, but I, I, I'm not hundred percent sure if all like parts of it will work um parts of it will definitely work but there's there's questions on like how how well the treadmill is for example like will that will be too much will be too much of like a cognitive overload for someone to to do all of it but um the intention really is like if you want to if you want to move towards like the concept of train like you fight um you might as well go all the way and go for it um so that's that's kind of that's kind of the idea. Um yeah, just keeping track of all these like different things your your ATAC, your clipboard, your rifle, your your push to talk, your like you, you have to keep track of all of this stuff all at once and it has to be perfect.
0: Yeah. Um, and you either have to build all that stuff in the VR space or put trackers on everything so it then transitions into the VR space. Um but I just imagine again I'm I'm not a a JTAC, TACP, CCT. But I can only imagine transitioning from one, call it media, you know, whether it's your radio to your gun, and then you like, okay, now in the simulation, your gun jams, and now you're in VR, and you can't see all the switches and do everything. So there's there's probably so much training that, again, the nice thing about the cyber process is that it is iterative. They don't say, here's one chunk of change, and in the end of the 12 months or 18 months, give us a fully developed product. It's going to be slowly but surely as the tech comes along as the software comes along it's going to get better and better and hopefully, you know, in 2 or 3 years hopefully we're talking about the most advanced jtac mixed reality trainer uh, out there, you know.
1: Yeah, that that's a really important thing that you mentioned about the cyber is for other cyber. So for example, we we have actually another cyber for like the Department of Energy. And that's not an open topic, right? And the milestones like what you have to deliver to for like the end of each kind of section of the server is very specific. Like you had to deliver these specific items. With Afworks, uh with these open topics, you can be you can you have the freedom to essentially be like, Hey, for this milestone, we're just gonna deliver iterations three or four. Right, like you don't you're not gonna know at the start like how well it's gonna work. And I think that's kind of the beauty of the open topics is it really it does give you the freedom to be to both take risks, I guess. Uh, that's one thing, but also um, to iterate, right? Like you're not just taking blind risks, but you're you're still being able to do uh, or utilize kind of that iterative design process.
0: Yeah, the uh, well, I think that's where we run into problems when we ask for a fully developed thing that doesn't have an iterative process. Now we end up getting products that probably don't meet the intent, but it was the end of the contract. So you got to do it. Uh, and then you just get the best thing they can produce. Then, uh, I assume, I I would hope what it would kind of turn into as, as this goes, uh, is a IDIQ. Uh, so indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity, uh, because that's what I've seen a lot of commercialization for kind of cyber threes and companies where they just, it's effectively a, uh, an open contract that, is literally indefinite. It just has a cap of money on it. And then they say, Hey, whenever the J tax have an extra 50 grand, they can put that there and then get something new on the product and then just slowly build the product they want rather than it's just one, one set timeline, one set uh, pricing. And then you, you move on. What's your, uh, what's your DOE or department of energy? Uh, what are you building for them?
1: Yeah, we're, we're building, uh, it's for offshore wind. So, um, since the kind of new president took over, he's been, he's been pushing offshore wind a lot to put it lightly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, so, um, the issue is unless we want every single, you know, American wind farm to be built and operated by Europeans, um, we have to build entire workforce from scratch, um, different problem than the air force i would say uh like there's good and bad the good is that we are starting from like we it's an open field it's the wild west and offshore wind in the u.s like it's uh people are just figuring things out and it provides the opportunity for you to kind of step in but it's bad in that it's like very early so mm-hmm. there's not defined requirements frankly most like there's not there's not a lot of money too either. Uh, like there's there's enough for a startup to operate and do things, but um, like how do you get to you know there's not? I can't turn around and get a fifty million IDIQ tomorrow in offshore. Yeah. It's not happen. <laughs> yeah. But the idea basically is um, creating like a more VR to get people to understand what these different jobs in offshore wind will be. So whether it's at port. Uh, on the turbine itself, on the vessels that take you from port to, to turbine, uh, and just getting more Americans interested in, in joining the workforce.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the – the. Th- I think we're scratching the surface on VR, and more specifically XR, uh, because every time I talk to uh, one of my fellow pilots, and I'm like, no, nah, like VR is cool. XR is is what we're going to be using in – Ten years, you know, because the reality is, there the limitations that VR brings, their XR at some point I think and and give me your feedback is is gonna now give you all the benefits of VR with the benefits of like an F sixteen trainer now where it's just a big shell around you or you know whatever 18 screens around you that immerse you in a vr space but you're sitting in a real world cockpit now the immersive the vr space is on your face and then you just look down in your cockpit and the cockpit's there and you flip switches and you do whatever you need to do and um and just like a jtac there is very much a requirement for real world interaction and a vr space around you uh so i think I mean, I hope, and I know it's going to get there. Just the timeline is when, you know.
1: I I would say it might be sooner than later. Um, so when we were doing our research on the JTAG projects, we found all like a ton of different VR treadmills. Like the one that we're likely going to go with is is the monstrosity in the sense that it's huge and like you're not going to put it in your living room likely, uh, at least not the current version of it, and it's expensive, yeah. right? Um, but we found other treadmills that are like perfect for consumers. Um, we can't use them because a good a good amount of them are actually like designed and made in their you know Chinese companies, uh, mm-hmm. so we can't we can't use it. But um, but no, a lot of these are like these treadmills are they're kind of like slippy shoes. Uh, it's the best way of putting it. So like it's a, kind of a slippery surface, and you put on these special shoes and. You're not really walking rather than like falling with style, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but those things are, are cheap enough that, I mean, consumers can probably start buying them and putting them in their house. Um, I would say the challenge of XR, the biggest challenge of XR, is the hardware is going to get there, in my opinion. The hardware will eventually get there. It's It's going to be the software, guys. It's like, how do you create a unified how do you make sure your, your VR app will actually work with these hardwares? Right. Um, yeah. that's also frankly an issue within the air force, right? Like, um, a, a downside with the cyber process is that, um, there's now like probably 500 C1 dirty VR trainers in the air force. Um, do we need 500 C1 dirty trainers? Maybe, maybe not. Um, probably not. They're probably all, like there's a good amount that are probably doing the same thing. Uh, but there's also probably a good amount that are all doing a bunch of different things, right? I would assume Africa is not signing off on the literal exact same training. Um, but there's, it's an opportunity, right? Like how do you, if you are a startup and you identify, I don't know, oil change as a potential issue, oil change on the C-130 as a potential training deficiency, um, instead of having to spend money to, remodel entire c1 dirty why don't you just like afrox is like here's a repository with a pre-made c1 dirty model just use it right Um, save yourself some time and money um so it's that is probably one of the biggest issues within the xr community is that you have it's great that there's a lot of people doing a whole bunch of different things hardware software xr ar even um but getting kind of more of the software and at least talk to each other more that is uh, that's going to be a challenge for sure
0: well i think I think there is there's two phases or there's two approaches, and I think the initial approach is exactly the way AFWorks and the Air Force is doing it, where it's a ton of companies and there's five hundred that are working on similar or very parallel uh, programs but at the end of the day, there has to be some top to bottom direction of This is our horse and this is the direction we're going in. And then everything has to kind of fall under that umbrella, whether it's, you know, the Air Force now purchases all this and then it becomes the Air Force's, you know, like intellectual property or, or the Air Force has a program that they all live under. Uh, But because we saw the same thing of, hey, build a VR, like a low cost VR trainer for pilot training. Mm -hmm. And they did. And it works great. And then they said, okay, now build low cost VR trainers for all your fighter training, because it's very different between pilot training and like a F-16 or an F-35 or any of that. It's a lot more jet interface where in pilot training, it's student learning basics of flight. Um, So then the the challenge changes. Well, what we end up finding is there's no, there's no roadmap. So again, we're going to get Every MDS or every different aircraft is going to get a different solution, maybe multiple different solutions for the same aircraft. And then at the end of the day, they're going to have to say, this is our one, we're going to work through that. Uh, But I think it's the right start is let's get everybody involved we can, get the best products available. And then once we get those best products, now we have to create one path.
1: I don't even even think it has to be that heavy-handed where you have some, you know, um, like – someone high up in a chain command and being like hey we're just going to go one specific you know vr software i i don't actually think that's probably do in my opinion i I think that's probably not necessarily the best way of doing it because i feel like you might be shutting off or disencouraging other people with different you know ideas from from entering um i think it probably in my opinion a more effective way of, of addressing this is make the reason like let the resources be known of like what if you want to make a c1 dirty vr trainer to solve fuel injection you're a small business um instead of like saying we're going to go to this big vr company that's going to do all of it maybe maybe if you're the air force and you own 3d models of the c1 dirty or 3d models or whatever that's a huge part of making this that's a huge i cannot stress that enough that's a massive expense is making the 3d model that might, oh, yeah. for some companies, that might even be their main and only expense, um, mm. especially to come in with a training platform. Um, so, like making that available and letting companies use it, you know, that might be that might be. Uh, and this is this is frankly like what we're talking about. This is an internal battle within like Air Force. Like, how do you approach XR right now within within the Air Force? Do we go with a heavy-handed top-down? let you know the traditional route we go one big ass vr company uh or even a current prime contractor and just make all the vr through this one company or do we kind of make the tools open to tools that smaller companies can use and make their costs lower and then just let a bunch of other you know other vendors go in and make a lot more training um it's it's a, it's a big question. Um, I, I recommend, uh, definitely checking out this company called, uh, Dynepic and Motar. Um, okay. they're being run by, uh, Detachment 23 or, or T3. And they're, you know, they're kind of in that, that latter half or ladder camp of like, let's make as many tools available to these smaller businesses. Uh, so that if you want to create training, um, you can you can do so, but not, you know, not as much expense. But now you have more small businesses and smaller teams kind of getting involved.
0: Uh, and, and I think one of the challenges, so kind of the other side is, if you're not part of the SIBR contract, so you're not a SIBR 2, right. and you walk up and say, I want that product also, the problem is you have to go through more traditional um, acquisitions side. And so what we ran into was, if you don't have a, pretty much a, uh, I don't know what GSA stands for, but it's like a government something or other, uh, but it's, it's effectively, think a Amazon for government purchases, where you can just go on there and everything's been vetted, and you just say, I want that one, purchase. Well, because cyber companies don't live there, and a lot of these like random things, like the moving the floor or the haptic gun, um, they're not on GSA. So if you want to purchase these things, the, the problem is the standard way to purchase stuff, especially when it gets into the like multiple thousands of dollars, you end up running into, you have to get three separate quotes by three companies. They have to be, uh like hey why is this one better you have to write this whole process of why you're purchasing it uh so maybe maybe i explained it incorrectly but i agree with you like we need a lot of options it should be maybe more like a bespoke list where you just go in and it's like i want that chair i want that moving floor i want the oil change i want the engine maintenance for the C130 you know what i mean and you just get to select all of the things that you want to get but you don't have to do the standard acquisitions process because that's where we run into problems of, oh, you trip $10,000 for this purchase. Now you have to do all the acquisition stuff. And then if it's not the cyberspace, you run into a brick wall of, hey, now it's going to take probably three or four months uh, if we have the money. And if we don't have the money, then we put this up for what's called a UFER, an unfunded request. Yeah. And then hopefully if the correct type of funds are available close to the end of the year, then we will buy it. Uh, so it's it's unfortunate because how smooth the acquisitions process or the the process of actually onboarding things in SIBR, it's almost 180 out. Once you have to just generic like normal contract things, yeah. which is unfortunate.
1: Yeah, if, if I were to make one recommendation to, to any startups that want to do anything with with the Air Force, specifically startups, uh, make sure that like what you described been we've been through that it it's painful um yeah. as a startup you don't have time to to wait for a, a contracting officer to figure all that out um uh, so my my one recommendation is make sure that you're you're also developing on, on the private sector space that is hands down the one one of the biggest lessons i've learned in all of this is like you cannot put all of your i mean some some people will be successful if they put all their eggs in the air force basket or the defense basket but it's kind of more the exception than the norm, um, I would say. So definitely make sure you do have that healthy kind of private sector uh, base. If, if it's not built yet, then I'll recommend get started on, on building it out a lot more.
0: Yeah, I've heard, I've heard kind of 70-30. You know, like you probably want the bulk of your your efforts or your you know, at least cash flow from private sector, mainly because you put it for a sipper, it takes months to find out you get awarded a sipper and it's funded and they're like, cool, you'll probably get the money in eight months. And so you probably want something to keep the lights on until that money shows up. Um, so yeah, i cause I've heard that by so many companies where they're like, Hey man, like how are we supposed to live this way? And it's like, I don't, I don't think you're supposed to, you're supposed to do exactly, exactly what you said. Like you're supposed to, you're supposed to have something else that's, uh, that's keeping you going. What, uh, what are you guys doing on the, uh, kind of the public side or, uh, you know, your commercialized side,
1: yeah. Um, so we we have this. Um, so nothing as intense as creating a, a uh, you know treadmill of rifles and you know JTAG stuff. <laughs> uh, my office actually is kind of weird like that, where I've wind turbine there, and then literally on on this side we have you know the rifle and a bunch of other crap there. It's more Air Force yeah. specific. Um, but we're um, we're building this. Uh, it's essentially a so we also have our services side so companies can come to us and they're like we want vr training and we can build it for them or the big thing we've been getting is like vr experiences for for kids so if you're a kid and you want to know what is it like to be a surgeon uh for example um plop on a headset go and go and do a surgery and see if it's for you um so that's that's one use case um but the main, one of the big things is we've been getting, uh, we've been building this library of, of VR experiences, as I mentioned, for renewable energy, offshore wind specifically. Um, and it's, it's a it's what we call a day in the life, and that allows different companies and students to understand what it would be like to work in the industry. But also we have like certified training. So we have a library of like certified VR training that technicians can actually use to to get certified to work offshore.
0: That's cool. And it's, you know, it's not just a exposure tool. It's actually a certification tool. I just imagine when you said a day in the life, it's just like a 90 minute boat ride in VR. <laughs> we you have to
1: simulate seasickness, so that's what you're asking. <laughs> uh,
0: well, it's, it's funny, the stuff that, again, just my kind of tiny little bubble in the VR space, but playing like DCS, um, you know, if you pull too many G's in the game, it starts to kind of, you, you start to gray out and like yeah. black out. Uh, and I get super mad cause I'm like, I know that I can actually do like pull these G's like, don't G lock me, you stupid game. So, uh, it's just funny that there's like seasickness and stuff, which I would definitely get seasick. That's for sure. I make myself air sick all the time.
1: Yeah. There's a, yeah. uh, there's height sickness too. in our uh, height uh sickness. there's also uh, vertigo. Uh, it's, it's also in our JTAG simulator. Like we, um, uh, Our map for that game is actually we we sent a guy to poland in uh warsaw uh (laughs) that's what the 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 unit requested like of eastern europe it was like when the project yeah when the project kicked off that was when like the whole ukraine thing was going on so yeah or like eastern europe was a hot ticket so we sent a guy to poland and like he uh went to this castle it's just like a, it's like a castle top. That's our vantage point. And it's like a sheer drop down. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, we haven't run into any uh, height issues or fear of height issues yet with JTACs, but maybe that could be a filtering thing too.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're uh, they, I mean, they're pretty hardcore dudes. I've uh, I've met a good amount of you know TACPs and CCT dudes, and uh, I wouldn't mess with them. That's for sure. The uh, well, it's it's funny because you say stuff like that, and there's. Uh, I was in an elevator uh, in Atlanta and it was an all glass elevator in this hotel. And my son and I were standing there and, and he's like, I want to go to like the 51st floor, but it was all glass and it just opened to the center of the hotel. So as we started going, both of us kind of like stepped back from the edge as we got higher and higher. Cause it was like, I do not like this. Like we're like 30 or 40 stories up. Uh, and you like, couldn't even see the floor anymore. And we're like, Ooh, that's, that's not awesome. But, uh, yeah that's funny
1: something else i've also learned from hanging out with a lot of JTACs. if you ever if you ever want to know where a bar is they just they somehow have like this internal gps or radar <laughs> system where they just happen to know where every single bar is even if it's a city they've never been been in before you just yeah, they,
0: <laughs> yeah they do well they probably do like site site uh surveys and uh, and prep study you know like, like oh, i know how to that.
1: A-tech. They just have, like, drop a bar. Yeah. You on <laughs> oh,
0: I guarantee it. I guarantee it. They're, they're some great dudes. How is that? How has that been? Because did you have any exposure to the military before uh, you started working there, like, with them?
1: Yeah, a little bit. Um, Army, but not as much in the Army. It was more researchers. Maintenance was kind of our main, like, we had a lot more exposure with them. But maintenance guys are, like it's a different skill. set. they're like different, it's different people that attracts people to like technical training. They're really smart dudes. Not saying JTACs aren't smart, but they're like, their, their career and their job or day-to-day is a lot more like, how do you fix things? It's like, it's almost like they're engineers, right? Um, it's, it's really interesting. I didn't like, they didn't seem like they were you know, it didn't seem like the soldiers that we met at Fort Campbell, right? These guys felt like we were like working with engineers. They're still definitely in the military, and then JTACs are like, um, <laughs> they're uh, they're fun dudes. <laughs> yeah, well, they're, and that's what, different.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's what we love. Like we, so you see it with different, you know, different career fields. Like you said, just get, and you don't know if it's the the culture of the career field creates the people or the people just kind of like filter themselves into the correct career field. But we see it in airplanes like the F-16 community, the F-15C community, the F-15E community, the F-22, the F-35. Like the F-35 is is more of a mixed bag because it's like all the communities, the A-10 specifically. Yeah. But, yeah, you you meet JTAX and they're just like good there, dudes. Oh, what's that?
1: What well, I've noticed is a lot of them are – or at least the ones that we work with. I, I obviously I don't want to assume for every JTAC, but you know every JTAC we've worked with they're, um, they're like if you if you could uh, have if you could have like an embodiment of overachiever, like that's that's kind of what we've noticed. Is like, you know, one of the guys we're working with right now, he went to Ranger School. I don't even think you have to go to Ranger School. We just freaking went anyway. Uh, yeah. Like he he had a story where he was jumping out of a plane at jump school and he like tore his pack muscle on like the first of like many jumps and he's like fuck it I'm just gonna keep jumping and he <laughs> jumped the next jumps he wasn't able to use his like right arm he was just using his left arm to like adjust a parachute like who does that like <laughs> yeah
0: those dudes well and, and that's what you find out is they're they're an amazing combination of physicality and smarts you know they're. They're physically capable. They're going to they're gonna do athletic feats that you're like, I don't think I could do that. But then you talk to them, and you're like, you are knowledgeable. Like, you are a smart man. You have, you have put in work, you know, because you think about it. They need to understand. So, like, a CCT or TACP who becomes a Joint Tactical Air Controller, their job is to not only be able to shoot the guns and move on the ground and do all the stuff that is expected of someone on the ground in a firefight, They also have to understand their radios. They have to understand their ATAC that they're operating with. Uh, So then, you know, they can troubleshoot radios. They can work on that kind of stuff. And then they now need to own the stack, which is every aircraft that's above them. And then they now need to keep track of all their friendlies because now guys are moving around because they need to make sure that bombs go only on bad guys. And then while this is all happening, they're getting fed information from probably the the ground force commander or the GFC and then he's saying, put a bomb on there or do something like this. This is the effect I want. And then the JTAC says, I have F-16s above me. They checked in with GPS-guided bombs, laser-guided bombs, 20-millimeter. And then they will say, hey, ground force commander's intent is, yeah. this is what I'm looking for. Here's, like, call it, like, say when you're ready for your nine line. So, I mean, it, it's not the, like, I'm going to carry a heavy ruck and I'm going to go real far. It's all of the above. It's I'm going to do the job on the ground and then I, these guys who show up in airplanes, I'm going to know what the airplane can do and and use them effectively. Uh, so it's I'm always impressed with those dudes. I'm always happy to go uh, buy them a beverage because they they're good dudes, and I appreciate the work they do. Have
1: you ever been to uh, the uh, Chapman Complex? It uh, used to be called Medina Complex or the Medina kind of Detachment at Lackland?
0: I have not. Okay.
1: Well, so – uh, Chapman Complex is where they do a lot of kind of like the uh, I guess their tech school for JTAC training. Um it is like <laughs> uh it's it's interesting, uh to put it yeah. like like it's no, it's cool. They have like the state of the art like NFL like when uh when I saw their gym and stuff, they it looked like something out of like Alabama state like football, you know, like some tier one like super insane gym with they have the snacks everywhere and stuff because apparently they're not getting enough calories every day. It's, it's madness. But uh, yeah, Yeah. it's, you're right. It's, they're super smart. It's basically like, it reminds me a little bit of like almost the frats in college, but everyone there has like a 4.0 GPA too. Uh, It's, it's kind of crazy to see. Like I didn't like, it's kind of insane that people like that exist, but I guess we kind of need them.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, the the cool thing is that they create that community. They create the environment around them that, you know, they they want to do well and they want to do well for others. Because as, as these JTACs, you know, these CCT and TACPs become JTACs, uh, which is an entire course in and of itself. And then they move on and then they get into the STS world, which is kind of the more advanced side of the JTAC side. So you can be ASOS or STS. Yeah. And then once they're STS, they can even kind of progress even farther. Um, so, I mean, there is... They are exceptional performers and they stratify to get into their career field and then they stratify once in their career field. Uh, so, there's, they're great. If you meet a JTAC, anybody listen to this, uh, listen to some stories because uh, they definitely have some good ones. Uh, because, you know, in, in airplanes, we go and visit the fight and JTACs and all these people, they live in the fight. Uh, so, so appreciate them. Tell them thank you. Uh, well, Eagle, it's been, uh, it's been awesome chatting. How can everybody, uh, contact you if they want to reach out and get some, uh, VR action?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I guess actually since most of your audience is air force, um, we do need serious help on our JTAC project actually. So if you are a JTAC, uh, what current or for former, uh, please reach out. Um, we'll love to hear and get your feedback on what we're building. Um, you can reach out to us either on our website, so that's www.vinci-vr.com. Um, it's currently all set up for our offshore wind stuff, so don't get thrown off by it. It's the right website. Um, and then, Or you can reach out to my email. Uh, it's just ewu at vinci-vr.com.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks again, Eagle, for being on. Everybody you know, if you want to contact us or be on the show, uh, info at KodiakShack.com or uh, check out our website, KodiakShack.com. Remember, like, subscribe, share. Uh, tell us what we're doing well and what we're not doing so well. If you uh, know people you want to hear about on the show, uh, then go ahead and uh, shoot us an email. Let us know what we're missing uh, so we can keep providing good t- content. for Eagle, thanks. See you, man.